You are listening to The North Podcast, a ministry of Mount Perrin North in Marietta, Georgia. Hey, good morning, everybody. How are you today? You look fantastic. I'm glad you're here today. Thanks for being here in the worship service. Thank you for those who are joining us online. So glad you're here. We get to begin a brand new series on the book of Ruth today. I'm talking about finding God in the ordinary. Finding God in the ordinary. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me to the book of Ruth. We're going to start in the very first chapter, and I'm going to read to you the first five verses. Now, go ahead and give you a little clue. There are three main characters in the book of Ruth. There is Ruth, there is Boaz, and then there's Naomi. Um, I'm going to talk to you today about the probably the most forgotten one of these three, and that's Naomi, and the role that she plays in fulfilling the destiny of God in all of their lives. So looking at the first five verses of chapter one of Ruth, it says, in the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, They settled there. If you don't mind in your outlines or your Bible, I want you to just underline those three words. When they reached Moab, they settled there. They settled there. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, the other a woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, both Malon and Kilion died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons, or her husband. As you can see, the book of Ruth starts off with nothing but tragedy. And somehow God turns it around in this book to bring about his divine will and his blessing in their life. Let's pray this morning as we get started. Father, thank you so much for your Holy Spirit that has been with us so far this day. So real, so relevant, such a sense of your presence while Prayers were being offered up for your people while praise was being offered up to the Lord Jesus Christ. And such a powerful, tangible sense of your presence during our prayer time. Be with us now. Speak to us through your word as only you can. God, I pray you anoint the words as you've given me to say as they go forth. Anoint our ears to hear them and our hearts to receive them so that you may accomplish your perfect will. And Lord, we'll be careful to give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So the book of Ruth is actually a little bit of a turning point in Scripture. Um, Not theologically speaking, but as far as genres go. Up until this point, it's been kind of action-packed. I mean, it's been the the first five books, the Pentateuch. This is God's creation. This is God's redemption. This is God bringing his people out of Egypt. It's God settling in the land, in the promised land. It's this idea in the book of Judges of people going back and forth between serving God and serving others. And then God would send, um, God would allow them to go pers- undergo persecution and send a judge or a deliverer to them over and over this vicious cycle that's going on. And then we come to the book of Ruth. It's unlike anything you've read before now in Scripture. It's as if you have been watching a series of movies that have been action-packed, espionage-filled. You're just sitting on the edge of your seat waiting, and then Ruth happens. Ruth is not action-packed. 
it, it's, it's not espionage. It's not, Ruth, if it was a movie, would be a chick flick. 85 verses in four chapters. 55 of them are conversation and talking back and forth. This is not a lot of weaving of action going on in here. And yet it is packed full of truth about who God is. Two women. They've lost everything. And yet God is present in these moments, but not like you would expect. He's not present in these moments. I mean, God is present. He's mentioned, but he's never mentioned as doing anything in the moment. He's mentioned when it says, may the Lord be praised because of your faithfulness. May God be praised for what he is doing this. But it never says, and the Lord did this in these moments. And yet God is very real, very present in these moments. It's just not like how you would expect. There are no miracles per se. There's no parting of the Red Sea. There's no healing the sick. There's no raising the dead. And yet throughout Ruth, you see his presence, his power, and his divine providence taking place in all of it. Ruth speaks to those who are hurting, discouraged, broken, losing hope. Maybe they find themselves in a place that they didn't think they would be. They feel like God has something better for them, and yet they're still not experiencing it all. This is the book of Ruth for you and me. The background is there is a man we were introduced in the first five verses. His name is Elimelech. He lives in Judah, which is uh, uh, the southern part. He lives in a town called Bethlehem. Elimelech, the name literally means my God is king. So my God is king. It's, it's this bold declaration that God is Lord of my life, that God is in control. He marries a woman named Naomi. Her name means sweet or pleasant. They have two children, Malon, which means sick or sickly, and Kilion, which means frail or tired. Aren't you glad people didn't name you literally back then, like they do now? I mean, you know, now, like they did then. Obviously, these boys were sick at birth. They were going to have very difficult hardships in their life. I mean, I'm glad we don't do that anymore. I've been sick and tired of my kids, but I've never named, wanted to name them sick and tired. <laughs> Struggling most of their lives. Elimelech, trying to provide for his family. There is a famine that goes on in the town of Bethlehem, in the region of Judah. And he finds himself trying to figure out, how do I solve this for my family? So he moves them to a place where the famine's not affecting at that moment in time, a place called Moab. It seems right. It seems like the reasonable, rational thing to do except there's a problem. God has told his people, do not under any circumstances move and live in Moab. Do not associate with the Moabites for they are wicked and they are evil and they will turn your hearts away from me. But yet he goes there anyway. You see, in Genesis 19, we find out what the origin of Moab is. 
In Genesis 19, we find out that God has destroyed two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, for their wickedness and their evil. And he has brought out Lot and his two daughters. His two daughters who have been raised in the evil of Sodom and Gomorrah, so used to the culture that they lived in, cannot have the, do not have the ability to trust God. And so they decide they'll take matters into their own hands. They don't know how they're going to have any descendants. They don't know how they're going to have any children. So they come up with a plan, these two daughters, that says, we'll get our father drunk and we'll sleep with him. And one of them becomes pregnant and the child is named Moab, product of incest. The Moabites settle, and they settle in this land, and they begin to follow a false god named Chemosh, who demands they sacrifice their children in the fire. It's an evil place. Elimelech is forced with a terrible decision. My family is suffering. Over there, I believe we can survive. So my brain and my Rational thinking says we should go to Moab. It is no accident in the first passage. The first words of the book of Ruth says, in the days of the judges. It's not just trying to pinpoint a time period. It's trying to tell you and me what the attitude and the culture was like that they lived in. You see, at the very end of the book of Judges, it says, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. They did what was right in their own, not looking for God's way, not looking for God to direct them. They did what was right in their own eyes. It sounds a whole lot like today. It's okay. You live your way. I'll live mine. You have your truth. I'll have my truth. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And Elimelech, whose name says, my God is king, didn't believe God was in control. And so he did what was right in his own eyes and took his family to Moab. Now, I've listened. I am a preacher. So I've listened to preachers. I've read things. I've heard a few. I've read a few talk about, and they come from the side of parenting. And they say, Elimelech and Naomi made a terrible decision. Listen to me. This is a patriarchal society where she has no say and no rights. She is in this land, not because of her own decision, but because of her husband's decision. Even after he dies, she still is not in control because the law and the culture demanded that the sons now be in charge of the family. She is subservient to the wishes of her sons. And it is not until her husband and her two sons die that she ever has the opportunity to make her own decision. Some of you know exactly what that feels like. You are in a place you never thought you would be. Not because of your decision, but because of someone else's. Because someone else made a choice, you're living with the fallout. Someone else abused you or a loved one, and you're living with the fallout. Someone else's addiction, alcohol, drug, gambling, porn, has caused you to be in a place you never thought you would be. 
Someone else's financial decisions have caused you to live in financial ruin, even though you didn't cause it. Or the death of a loved one has caused you to be in a place where you never thought you would be. When Naomi finally comes to the place where she can make her own decisions, she decides to do something about it. And it changes everything. For the last few moments, I want to share with you three quick things that Naomi did that changed her life, her family, their destiny, and literally history itself. Number one is this. Your attitude in difficult places will draw people to you. Your attitude in difficult places will draw people to you. Now listen, you're going to always draw people to you. You have to figure out which ones you want drawn to you. People are always going to be attracted to you. You just need to know who you want to attract. Your attitude will draw people to you, especially in difficult places. Naomi has faced something that I cannot even comprehend. Most people can't even grasp this. She's moved to a place she doesn't want to live in. She's moved in a culture she doesn't want to live in. It's a godless society. Now her husband dies and her two sons die. And she's forced to live in a place right now where she has no rights. She's not a citizen there. And she has no ability to survive. I can't even fathom that. The amount of loss that she incurs, but also the uncertainty of her future. But something about Naomi is different than everybody else. The way she approaches life, it's different. Her name means sweet and pleasant. But, I mean, let's be honest. There's a lot of people whose names mean something. They don't live up to that, right? Sweet, pleasant. How do we know something's different about her? Because her, because her daughters-in-law, who are from the land of Moab, who are citizens there, who can literally go back to their homes, who can literally go back and reestablish a life for themselves, they don't want to do that. They would rather go with Naomi because Naomi decides, I will go back to the land of Judah, to the town of Bethlehem, and live among my people. Something about her has caused her daughters-in-law to say, we would rather go with you and live among your people in a foreign land and be without you. Look at what it says in verse 6. It says, Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. And with her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back to your mother's homes. And may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. And may the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. And she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. No, they said, we want to go with you to your people. The impact that she's had on them, they would rather go with her to a land they don't know and a people they don't know because of Naomi's attitude and the way she's handled life. Listen, famines happen. Problems happen. Famines happen even when you're living in the right place. Do you understand the famine that came at the very beginning? They lived in Bethlehem. Do you know what the, the name Bethlehem means? House of bread. 
It's a place that reminds you that God is faithful, that he is faithful to supply your every need. A famine hits in the house of bread. Listen, just because you're living God's way doesn't mean you won't encounter difficult times. Just because you're living God's way doesn't mean you're not going to have hardships in your life. But famines are temporary, but the house of bread lasts forever. This is why years later, King David will say, at the end of his life, he will say, I have been young and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor their children begging for bread. He says, I've lived with the fallout of my own decisions and I've lived with the fallout of other people's decisions and the effect it has on my life. But this is one thing I can tell you with all that I've seen living in abundance and living in lack, I can tell you this, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor their children begging for bread. Jesus even says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You can't control the circumstances you face, but you can control your attitude. You can control your outlook. And do you know what determines your attitude? What you believe and in whom you believe. It's not about truth, your truth and my truth. It's about what is real and what is true. That's why Isaiah 40 says, the the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Your attitude in difficult times and in difficult places will draw people to you. But secondly, you can't just stay there. Your faith in difficult times will draw people to God. Your attitude will draw people to you Your faith will draw people to God. Here's what it says in verse 11. But Naomi replied, why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who would grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' home, for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible, if and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. She said, things are far more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. And again, they wept together. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung tightly to her. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. And your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I ever allow anything but death to separate us. And when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. Ruth is drawn to her attitude, but it's her faith that draws Ruth to God. Notice what she says. Your people will be my people. I'm going to live where you live, and your God will be my God because there's something different about the way you handle tragedy than everyone else. Now listen, we're going to acknowledge verse 13. We're not going to skip right over and act like verse 13 doesn't exist because Naomi says to her daughters-in-law, things are far more bitter for me than they are for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. She's feeling this deeply. She's feeling it honestly. 
She's saying, I feel like God is against me right now because everything seems like it's turning against me. But it's not her feelings that she relies on. She doesn't rely on her feelings. She relies on what she knows. She feels like God is against her, but she knows deep down God is for her. So she sets out on the road that takes her back to the land of promise. And it changes something in Ruth dramatically. When everything is taken from Naomi, she returns to the land of promise and the God who made the promises. Listen to me. Your faith in difficult times matters. Before I have ever experienced the worst things in my life or ever experienced God's faithfulness to me during that time, I witnessed other people experience difficult times and saw God's faithfulness in their lives. 30 years ago, I was in a church service in Tallahassee, Florida, still in the business world, and I can still remember to this day a lady named Diane who would receive early on Sunday morning brain radiation treatments for her brain cancer, could barely get herself into the worship service, but would lift her hands and worship God and tell everyone who came in contact to her how good God is. I have watched people lose their children and stand with their hands up and still sing, blessed be the name of the Lord. I have watched them tell of the goodness of God when nothing good was going on in their lives. I've watched them remain in the land of promise even when their world was falling apart. I learned that God would be faithful to you and me even when it seems like everything is coming against me. Listen, people are watching you. And I'm not saying this to put more pressure on you, but people are watching you and me. They want to know uh, the things that we say with our lips. Are we living with our lives? They want to know, is the God of your good days still good when you have your bad days? They want to know, is God faithful even when it seems like everything is falling apart? They want to know, is God a solid foundation even when it feels like your world is crumbling? It's why it's so impactful and powerful that Job in the Bible, who has lost everything, and he even questions God himself. Even in that moment in Job 19, he says, even though everything is falling apart, he says this, I know my Redeemer lives, and I know that at last he will stand on this earth. And I know that even if my body sees decay, even in my body and my flesh, I will see God. I will see him for myself. I will see him with my own eyes. And when I comprehend that, that is too impossible for me to even comprehend, too wonderful for me to even imagine. Do you know what he's saying? Everything may be falling apart. This world may pass away, but I know who's going to stand at the end, and it's God himself. And he goes on to say, and if God is standing, even if I have died, he will raise me up and stand me next to him. And I will see him with my eyes and I will behold his glory and I will spend my eternity with him. I know in whom I believe and his name is Jesus. Your faith matters during difficult times. Your attitude may draw people to you, but your faith draws people to God. And it's in Him that their help lies. Help lies. The third thing is this. Your faithfulness to God during difficult places can change the destiny of your family. 
If we fast forward to the end of Ruth, we're going to cover it all. But if you fast forward, they relocate back to Bethlehem. Ruth meets a man named Boaz who becomes what is called a kinsman redeemer. I will explain to you in the following weeks what that means. But Boaz marries Ruth and everything changes. In Ruth chapter 4, looking at verses 13 through 17, here's what it says. So Boaz took Ruth into his home, and she became his wife. And when he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant. And she gave birth to a son. And then the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord, who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. And so Naomi took the baby, cuddled him to her breast, and she cared for him as if it were her own. And the neighbor women said, notice, now at last Naomi has a son again. This is Ruth's child. They are tying it all back to the faithfulness of God. God gave her Ruth, who is better than seven sons. And through Ruth, he's given her a son again. And they named him Obed. And he became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. This David will eventually become King David of all of Israel. Between David and Solomon, his son, the greatest heir of the kingdom of Israel has ever experienced. But through King David, the Bible prophesies and fulfills that another redeemer is going to come. One that will not just redeem a family, but will redeem a world. A Messiah a Lord, a Savior, whose name is Jesus. Naomi's faithfulness changes the destiny of her family. Ruth marries Boaz. It changes everything. They move out of poverty and they move into abundance. They're accepted into the community. They have a family again. People rejoice and they celebrate. But it's so much deeper than that. Naomi's faithfulness also becomes part of God's story to redeem the world. See, you never know when God is going to use your faithfulness to bless the world around you. You can't control the circumstances that come into your life. You can't even control how God uses your story. What you can control is your faithfulness. I had you underline three words. It said Elimelech moved his family there and they settled there. I don't want you to settle there. I don't want you to think that you have to stay there. God's promises are yes and amen, and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
If Naomi stayed in Moab, she never returns to Bethlehem. Ruth never marries Boaz. King David is never born. And from his line, the Messiah never comes. Here's the interesting part. As Naomi is remaining faithful to God, she has no idea that those things are going to happen. God never told her, if you come home, here's what I'm going to do. This is this grand plan I'm going to use with your life. God honored her faithfulness. She doesn't know the impact. She doesn't know it's going to change the destiny of her family. She doesn't know it's going to be this great part of God's redemptive story. She doesn't know that someone is going to record this and use it to tell of God's goodness and his grace and his mercy and his plan. She doesn't know that thousands of years later, on the first Sunday in October in Marietta, Georgia, that some of you are in the place you never thought you would be, that her story is going to be used to tell you of God's goodness in your life. She doesn't know that. She just makes a decision to be faithful. And when she has the opportunity to trust God, she takes it. And you can do the same. I was raised in the church. Um, there was a time where I rebelled against the Lord, but I was raised in the church. I was raised in a spirit-filled church. I was raised in altars where people came down and they got prayed for like we do here. I was raised in a time where there were some humorous things that would happen. You could get to the altar and have two different prayer people talking to you, praying for you. And one side you could hear hang on and the other side says let go. I was raised. I get it. I was raised with cliches. But there's one that's a cliche that is still true. It says, let go. Let God. Let go of trying to figure it out yourself. I don't mean check your brain at the door. Let go of trying to fix it all yourself. Let go of trying to do what is rational in your mind, but contrary to the Word of God. Let go of trying to do what is right in your own eyes and give it to God and let God do what only God can do. What you can do is turn your steps out of Moab, the place you didn't ask to be, the place that your decisions didn't cause you to be there, you can walk back to the land of promise and to the God who made those promises. You can bring your hurts and your disappointments. You can give him your pain and you can trust him with your future. And God is faithful. Pastor Savannah, Savannah read how in Psalm 66, they were glorifying God for all he's done in the past. Pastor Brett looked forward where they were glorifying God that at the end of the age, he's still on his throne. If he was faithful then, and he's faithful then, he's faithful now. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Although this message is about Naomi, I want some of you to listen to me. Some of you are not in the place Naomi was. You're in the place Elimelech was. You've made some decisions that caused you to be 
away from God. And it's time to take the turn and come back home. If when you came in this place, you knew things weren't right between you and the Lord, I just want you to pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the sacrifice you made for my sins. I thank you that you died on a cross. I thank you that not only did you give your life for my sins, that you rose from the dead and you have all power over sin and darkness and hell and and shame. I ask you to forgive me of my sins and the way I've lived. I yield and surrender my life from this point forward to you. Be Lord of my life. And I will follow you through your word and through your spirit. And I'll never be the same. I'm going to ask everyone in the room, just pray this prayer of profession. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. One more time. Jesus, I give you my life. Now with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, no no one but the ministry team and me looking around. If that's you, you know when you came in here today, things weren't right between you and the Lord, and you're making a decision to follow him for the first time or the first time in a long time. I'm not here to embarrass you. I'm not here to call you out. I want to pray for you this week. If that's you, you say, that's me. I made that decision today. Would you just raise your hand really high and keep it up just for a moment, please? God bless you. Yep, keep it up. Yep, you're not alone. Amen. Amen. Okay, you can put them down. Now, your head's still bowed, eyes still closed. If you say, Pastor, I'm in a place where somebody else's decisions have caused me to be in this place, and for some reason, I thought I had to settle there. But today, I need to walk back into the land of promise and to the God of the promises and believe him that his plan is still good for my life. If that's you, would you just raise your hand really high? Oh, man, you're not alone. Amen. 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 All right, you can put them down. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for changed lives and redeemed lives. Thank you for those that are in this room right now. Some who raised their hands in this room, some who are in this room, and some watching online who did not. But they're in a place they never thought they would be struggling with things they never thought they would have to struggle with because of decisions someone else has made. God, I pray that you open their eyes to see that you are still waiting, you are still available, you are still on your throne. I pray that they bring those things to you. I pray that they let go of trying to fix it all themselves and let God do what only you can do. I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide them with wisdom and direction. But I pray that you enable them to trust you deeply, to work all things out for their good and your glory. And Lord, as you do those things, we pray that you use our faithfulness somehow to bless the world around us, change the destiny of our families, and use it as part of your greater story of redeeming the earth. We ask those things in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Before we leave here today, we're going to partake of Holy Communion. You should have received some elements when you came in. If you go ahead and take those elements. If you did not receive those elements, would you please raise your hand so some of our hosts can get those to you? We want everyone to be served. So we'll take a moment just to make sure everybody gets served. But while they're being served, you can go ahead and prepare the elements by unsealing the top seal. It's clear and revealing the wafer. 
And then you can unseal the next seal and reveal the juice. See, in Holy Communion, what we do is on the night before Jesus gave his life for our lives, he observed the Passover meal, which was always a remembrance of God delivering Egypt, I mean, Israel, out of Egypt. But Jesus converted that meal into what we know now as Holy Communion, where it's a reminder now that the same God who brought the Israelites out of Egypt through a different Redeemer, Jesus, brings us out of the bondage and the slavery of sin and brings us into the promise of hope in relationship because of Christ, because his body was broken and his blood was spilled. Paul writes and says it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 26. He says, on the same night that the Lord was betrayed, he took bread and after he blessed it, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. Would you remember the body of Christ? And in the same manner, he took the cup and said, this cup is my blood in the new covenant. Take and drink as often as you do in remembrance of me. Would you remember the blood of Christ? For as often as you eat the bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me, please. Would you just sing this older chorus, but it just declares so much about us. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee, oh, bless me now, my I come to thee. One more time, let's sing it. I need thee. Oh, I need thee. thankful for that. Can you say amen? Amen. Hey, can you join with me and celebrate to the Lord 12 people who gave their hearts to Jesus? Come on, give them your highest praise. Amen. Amen. Listen, you made that decision today or in the past few weeks. We would love to help you get started on this journey. 
with the Lord. Some of our folks from our grow team will be down here at the, begin, at the end of service. They'd love to talk with you. Give us like two minutes of your time. Um, if you'd like to not come down here, there's some folks in the atrium at Connection Point out there that would love to talk with you as well. Um, if you want some more information about getting plugged in here at Mount Perrin North, there's some information cards in the um, row in front of you. Take that, fill that out, and take it by the Connection Station, and we would love to talk with you as well. And we're going to be praying for you this week. Specifically, I'm going to be praying for those of you who are taking steps to move out of the place that you find yourself into the promises of God. I believe God's got great, great, great things in store for you. Allow me the privilege before you go to bless you with Numbers chapter 6. And before I do that, I hope I see you here Wednesday night, 7 o'clock for First Wednesday service right here. I'll be speaking. Can't wait to worship with you and celebrate all the Lord has done. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Let's give our response from Psalm 19. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. God bless you, folks. Love you. Have a great one. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to learn more about North, be sure to check out our website at mountparanorth.com. If you have any questions, you can email us at info at mountparanorth.com or give us a call at 770-578-9081. And if you're in the Marietta, Georgia area, we'd love to have you join us for worship next Sunday at 945 or 1115 a.m. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.